welcome. So glad you're here today. You can go ahead and be seated. I want to welcome those of you that are joining with us online. We're so glad that you are. Uh, we have two services on Sunday. Of course, the first service is our weekly Bible prophecy update. And then second service, which will be at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time, that'll be live stream. We're going verse by verse through the Word, currently in the book of James. And today we are going to look at why it's of paramount importance that we as Christians be merciful to one another. So that'll be at 1115. For those of you online watching by way of YouTube or Facebook, we would encourage you to go directly to jdfarag.org for the uncensored and uninterrupted entirety of today's update. And with that, let's get right to it. I want to talk with you today about why it is that we as believers in and followers of Jesus should not fear what's coming. However, for those who are not believers in and followers of Jesus, you'll forgive me for the way that I say this, but you should be very afraid. <laughs> and actually, that's a good thing. It's called the fear of the Lord. And the fear of what's coming can bring about that much needed fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, we're told in the Proverbs, is the beginning of wisdom. And to fear the Lord is to hate evil. And it's really the fear of the Lord that brings people to the Lord. Because if I could be so blunt, that's the only way you and I are getting out of this. That's the truth. <laughs> the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man goes to the Father except through me. And so it is my hope and my prayer that today's update for the believer will be encouraging concerning fear. And for those who are not believers, that today's update would be that which brings you to the Lord in your fear, your fear of the Lord, and that it brings you to salvation. Really, fear can be a good thing if in the end it has this effect of bringing all of us closer to Jesus, saved or not. Those of us that know the Lord, walk with the Lord, love the Lord, serve the Lord, sometimes a healthy dose of fear is what it takes to bring us back to the Lord, closer to the Lord. And this fear that I want to, actually I don't want to, that's not true. <laughs> if, if, if I only stood up here and talked about what I wanted to talk about, I wouldn't talk about this. It's more of a, I need to. But if you really think about it, it's this fear, not so much of what's coming, but actually what seems to already be here. What do you mean? Well, the shelves at the stores are emptier. The prices of goods and services are higher. And the panic setting in is greater. The reason I sense that the Lord was leading me in this direction is because of the often asked question concerning the rapture of the church. Namely, that of how much 
we as Christians will have to endure of what we're told begins to happen prior to the rapture, which has to happen prior to the seven year tribulation. And thankfully, according to God's Word, really on the authority of God's Word, I can, without any hesitation, say that God will never forsake us and will always provide for us, no matter what. Now here's what's sad though. With the horrors of everything that's beginning to happen in the world today, many are given over to a spirit of fear and anxiety. And it's for this reason that knowing why we believe what we believe, specifically about the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, is an absolute must. In this day, in this world, you cannot be wishy-washy when it comes to the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. Please hear my heart on this. If one is doubtful, or worse yet, has been swayed by those who attack the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, then what will always ensue is fear and panic, and that's not of the Lord. This is 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, I'm sure a verse familiar to most, if not all. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind, better translated and understood as a disciplined mind. Just as we discipline our children, we discipline our mind because that's where the battleground is. And see, Satan has access to our minds. He can't read our minds. Thank God for that. <laughs> the Lord can. So think about that. But he can put thoughts in our mind. He can plant seeds of doubt. And if it's met with this supple soil, it'll begin to germinate and sprout, and it's not long before it bears bitter fruit. And he knows that. And we need to be disciplined in our mind, taking every thought captive into the obedience of Christ. Wait, stop. <laughs> not so fast. What was that now? Oh, wait a minute. Uh, can't take that one. No go. So sorry. It's incompatible with the Word of God, the love of God, the character of God. So no can, as we say here. That's a disciplined mind. We have to have disciplined minds and not allow the enemy to start planting seeds of doubt, because it is just a matter of time before the doubt will turn into fear. Here's how I see and say 2 Timothy 1.7, the Holy Spirit will never give me fear. The Holy Spirit will never produce in my heart and mind fear, because He's not given me a spirit of fear. The Holy Spirit will always give me 
that power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And what's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love. Love. That's the fruit that comes from the Holy Spirit. Why do I go into this? Well, this is, I don't know how else to say it. It is so important because there are so many out there now saying we're already in the tribulation. How's that one? Or no, the rapture is not before the seven-year tribulation, so you better start prepping. I actually am a prepper. I'm prepping for the pre-tribulation rapture. <laughs> Back on August 9th of 2020, we devoted the entirety of the prophecy update to the biblical proof, proof of the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture. And we provided a link to this update. There's also a downloadable 21-page PDF file of the notes, the typology, and the transcript of that update. I want to ask you a question. This is a question that needs to be asked and answered. And the question is, why would Jesus tell us He was going to take us out of this world if it were not so? What do you mean? Are you suggesting that Jesus talked about the pre-tribulation rapture? I absolutely am. John's Gospel, chapter 14. May I begin reading in verse 1? Jesus speaking. He says to His disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. Why do you think He told them to not let their hearts be troubled? Because their hearts were troubled. I know that's deeply profound. And he wanted to assure them and encourage them because he knew that their hearts were troubled. Fear was beginning to set in. So he says, believe in God, believe also in me. And here's why. Ah. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. Some of your translations render it mansions. I like mansions. That sounds pretty good. And then he says this, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. Okay. You know what he's saying here? He's saying, as the bridegroom to his bride, don't be afraid. Don't let your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a bridal chamber, a place for you, as was the custom in these ancient Jewish wedding traditions, where after the betrothal, the bridegroom would go to the father's house and build a room addition, a bridal chamber. And then when it was finished. And by the way, I just want to say parenthetically, so he's been preparing this place for well nigh 2,000 years. <laughs> wow. Okay, I'll just leave that with you. So the bridegroom goes, builds this room addition, this bridal chamber, on his father's house in preparation and anticipation 
of that day and that hour of which no man knows, when He comes as a thief in the night, and snatches away, catches away His bride, who is always watching and ready, and takes her to that place that He prepared for her, and they consummate and celebrate their marriage together for a period of seven, the number of completion days. That's what Jesus is saying here. Now here's another question. Wouldn't it stand a reason that Jesus, who is our bridegroom, would take His bride out prior to the seven-year tribulation? Why would He not? I would not have told you if this were not so. I'm going to take you out of this world to that place that I prepared for you. Stay with me on this, because I want to take it a, a bit further. And I want you to think this through with me. If God promises to shorten the days for the sake of His elect Israel in the tribulation, why wouldn't He do that for us, His bride, prior to the tribulation? This is Matthew 24, beginning in verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be, and, verse 22, unless those days were shortened, interesting, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, Israel, those days will be shortened. As for the aforementioned question of how much will endure prior to the pre-tribulation rapture, Scripture is replete with promise after promise in this regard, specifically as it relates to our not being afraid, despite how bad it gets, because it cannot and will not change how good God is. What, you don't think God's going to take care of you up until that time that He takes us out of this world? One of the go-to places in God's Word in this respect is Psalm 91. Psalm 91 has brought many a Christian <laughs> through many painful trials and difficult hardships. I'd like to begin reading in verse 5 of Psalm 91, and I would really encourage you in your own time in God's Word to spend time in this Psalm. Verse 5, You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the, interesting, pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes you shall look and see the reward of the wicked. Can't wait. Well, don't look at me like that. It says it right here. You shall look with your eyes and see. Because God's going to have the final word, by the way. Because, verse 9, you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. 
<laughs> no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You, verse 13, shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. Wait, what? Hang on. Yes, cobra. The young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Translated, what are you afraid of now? Okay. We need to talk about the whole cobra thing, right? I think I'd be grossly remiss were I not to, at the very least, provide you with a follow-up on this cobra theory that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. As I mentioned in those updates, it is incumbent upon you to do your own research on this, as I'm still vetting the credibility of this. I think we would all err greatly to throw the proverbial baby of truth out with the bathwater of deception, which is actually exactly what Satan wants. That's his M.O., modus operandi. I suppose you could say that, in all fairness, the jury is still out as to the possibility that there's some truth to this, despite how it comes. And by that I mean who presents it, how one proposes it, and the way one packages it should propel us to God's Word to validate it. That's what Jesus did when Satan tempted him in the wilderness. By the way, Psalm 91, he twisted that dashing your foot against the stone, and he just mixed, just, he tried this with Jesus, because he thought, because it worked with Eve in the garden, he, he packages and wraps just enough truth around the lie, so it's believable. So we buy the lie. And make no mistake about it, Satan knows Scripture better than you and I ever will. So he takes the truth and he says, okay, let's, emphasis added, let's just kind of tweak this just a little bit. And what was the Savior's response. Oh, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. It is written. It is, nice try. That's, he didn't say that. <laughs> nice try. No, that's not what it says. No, no, it, it doesn't say that. It says this. This is why it is so important to know the Word of God. We talked about this on Thursday night. I'm not going to, uh, that was a rough chapter, Jeremiah 5. By the way, this Thursday, I'm reluctant to say this, it doesn't get any better. So I, I sure hope you'll come. But I mean, it's just, Jeremiah is just, cannot wrap his mind around how it is that the prophets are prophesying falsely, the priests are corrupted, and the people love to have it so. And here's Jeremiah going, God, they're lying. 
They're lying and the people are believing the lie. It's almost like they want them to be lied to. And it, Jeremiah is just, they're lying. There's, this is this week, by the way, this is what I mean by it's not going to get any better. I had no intention of going here, but maybe this is for someone here. In Jeremiah chapter 6, he says, here's the problem, Jeremiah. Uh, everyone is dealing falsely with each other, saying to each other, peace, peace, when there's no peace. They're lying. These are false prophets prophesying falsely, and the priests are no better. They, they in their power have been corrupted. I called it the three Ps, the prophets, the priests, and the people. And the people love to have it so. Don't tell us that. Only tell us what our ears are itching to hear. Yeah, but it's not the truth. I know but I don't want to hear the truth. And Satan knows that, by the way, right? So, okay, let's take the truth, and let's just kind of tweak it a little bit, and we'll just put some new wrapping paper on it, and here you go. Oh, okay. Did you know that, and this is a tough one for me, because this has been so abused and misused and misquoted, but there's been seemingly a resurgence of interest in Ephesians chapter 6 as it relates to the armor of God. Paul writing to the Corinthians said, our weaponry is not carnal, it's spiritual. This is spiritual armor. So what, we're going to use spiritual armor to fight a worldly battle? How's that work? No, it doesn't. But did you know that in that armor there is only one offensive piece of armor, and it's the sword of the Spirit? Everything else is defensive, but it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And if we're to have any hope, of defeating the enemy in this spiritual battle, it has to be with the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit. It's that decisive blow. And this is why Psalm 91 is so apropos. It speaks to our propensity to be given over to fear especially with everything that is happening in the world today. And one of the main reasons that Psalm 91 in particular is so powerful is because of the promise of protection woven into its fabric. Volumes have been written about this one Psalm some of which include numerous and miraculous testimonies. One such writing comes from Peggy Joyce Ruth in the military edition of her book, Psalm 91, God's Shield of Protection. In it, she writes about a story that's told from Corey Ten Boom's clippings from my notebook. She writes, quote, many people came to know and trust the Lord during World War II. One was an Englishman who was held in a German prison camp for a long period of time. One day he read Psalm 91. Father in heaven, he prayed, I see all these men dying around me one after the other. Will I also have to die here? I am still young, and I very much want to work in your kingdom here on earth. He received this answer. Rely on what you have just read and go home. 
trusting in the Lord, he got up and walked into the corridor toward the gate. A guard called out, prisoner, where are you going? I am under the protection of the Most High, he replied. The guard came to attention and let him pass, for Adolf Hitler was known as the Most High. He came to the gate where a group of guards stood. They commanded him to stop and asked where he was going. I am under the protection of the Most High. All the guards stood at attention as he walked out the gate. The English officer made his way through the German countryside and eventually reached England, where he told how he had made his escape. He was the only one to come out of that prison alive. That's one of countless testimonies. Do not be afraid. Do not be given over to fear. Now, just because we're not to fear that which is coming, doesn't mean that we're not prudent in preparing for that which is coming. This is Proverbs 22.3. It's also 27.12. The prudent see danger and take refuge. Oh, where am I taking refuge? Oh, in the shadow of His wings, the Most High. So I see danger coming. Things are, things are happening. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to take refuge in the Lord. But the Proverbs continues, the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Now, let me hasten to say that any preparations we make as the Lord leads each individual should always be by faith and not in fear. And this brings me to what I need to warn you about concerning what's coming. So we're prepared by faith and as such not given over to fear. And in order to do that, we'll go ahead and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook at this time. I'm going to start with a prophecy that, just one prophecy, <laughs> specific to the controlled demolition, because that's what it is, of the global financial system vis-a-vis hyperinflation that will ultimately find its fulfillment in the seven-year tribulation. And this prophecy is found in Revelation chapter 6. And by the way, Revelation chapters 6 through 19 are all about the seven-year tribulation. Now why do I say that? Because the word church, not saints, church, is not found one time in Revelation chapters 6 through 19 dealing with the seven-year tribulation. Why is the word church not found in Revelation chapter 6 through 19? Because the church is not in the tribulation. Okay, I'm going to calm down because... I'm sorry, Lord. I... Oh, by the way, 19 times the word church is found in chapters 1 through 3. But when you get to the prophecies that will be fulfilled in the seven-year tribulation, chapter 6 or 19, not one time. Let me go backward just a little bit real quick. The purpose of the tribulation is for the salvation of the Jewish nation. 
whenever I get into a discussion, which by the way, I haven't been in one for a while, and maybe that's a good thing and a God thing. But whenever I get into a conversation with somebody that takes me to task on the pre-tribulation rapture doctrine, I always like to ask them how it is and why it is that they would ever imagine that the Lord would allow His bride to go through the seven-year tribulation. What would be the purpose? That, that's the question I, I always ask. Nobody's able to answer it. Well, I did get one answer one time, very interesting by the way. Well, the bride has to be purified. Oh, that sounds like works to me. We've got to prove ourselves. Oh, really? Why, why would God allow His bride to get all bus up before the wedding? Okay, is that too much? I mean, I, it's true though, isn't it? My wife and I have been married for 33 years this year. We courted for two years. I know that's a foreign word to young people. Courting, it was a, we courted for two years before we got married. And uh, I couldn't wait. I literally had, this is back in the day, I had, it was an actual calendar that was on the wall. And I would mark the days until our wedding day. I couldn't wait. We're the bride. What purpose does having us go into and through in any part the seven-year tribulation? We're already saved. There's, what's the point? And, and you cannot say, oh, we've got to hunker down and buckle up. What? <laughs> Where, where's that in here? I, I don't see hunker down. I see look up. Okay. So this prophecy, all that to say this, this is Revelation chapter 6. This is in the tribulation. Now what I want to really draw your attention to is that we're already now, prior to the tribulation, seeing prophecies that will be fulfilled in the tribulation already starting. And such is the case here. Verse 5, Revelation 6. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. This is commerce, trade, buying and selling. Then I heard, verse 6, what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, verse 7, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power, listen to this, over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. 25% of the population. Let's just say for purpose of, of discussion, it's 8 billion. If my numbers are correct, and I think they are, that's 2 billion people. When this prophecy is fulfilled, they're going to be killed. How are they going to be killed? Well, we're told very specifically by the sword, that's war, by famine, no food, by plague, and by wild beasts of the earth. Let's focus in on this famine thing. For those who are interested, we did a deep dive into this in our update back on December 6th, 
of 2020 titled The Great Setup. And again, we have the link to that on the website. In it, we looked at a 12-step outline of sorts that I have permission to share from someone who has tremendous discernment and insight into this. And this is 2020. Well, back in February, he emailed me again, and I want you to listen to what he had to say. I wanted to give you a little update on something that I'm keeping my eye on from a monetary perspective. I have evaluated that the response to COVID-19 was not related to a health crisis, but used to manage a monetary crisis. I postulated that the lockdowns were really intended to slow the velocity of money. Let me explain that real quick. Velocity is the speed with which money circulates throughout the economy. And by the way, it just plummeted again. That's how fast the money circulates through the economy. You have to have the velocity of money. So they deliberately intentionally slowed the velocity of money in order to allow central banks and governments to print and inject tens of trillions of dollars of currency into the system, preventing an early collapse. The lockdown slowed the velocity of money and inflationary spike, hang on to that, that would have occurred if economies were running wide open. He goes on to say this, if we see a rapid reversal of the lockdown policy globally, then this may be the signal that the inflationary trap has been set and it's time to open up the economy and let the velocity of money spike, leading to very high rates of inflation. Hmm. Very high rates of inflation will trigger a crisis in the debt markets as bondholders sell bonds, because the real rate of return turns sharply negative, and it has. This sell-off will result in rapidly rising bond yields and interest rates, including corporate debt and mortgage rates. A collapsing debt market will pull down the stock and real estate markets as the cost of debt service cuts into corporate bottom lines and rising mortgage rates makes housing unaffordable. This is how the everything bubble pops. I believe the reversal of COVID restrictions and opening of the global economy will initially be viewed as a victory for the people against tyranny, but the victory will be hollow as the, and he says it again, everything bubble pops and fiat currencies are destroyed in a hyperinflationary collapse. In conclusion, I'm watching to see a rapid reversal in global COVID restrictions, which will mean those pulling the strings believe it's time to use inflation to bring down the everything bubble and monetary system. That was back in February. And now it seems to be happening almost exactly as he said it would. Fast forward to May, and what now seems to be an all-out attack on the world's food supply with what's happening in with and to Ukraine. And if this weren't bad enough, perhaps you've heard about this, there are chilling reports coming out 
documenting the fact that food processing plants are being destroyed. What follows are a few quotes from a YouTube video titled, Something Strange Happening to U.S. Food Processing Plants. It's by Really Graceful. Here's a quote. Within the span of the year, one of the world's largest ships jammed up the Suez Canal for nearly a week, one of the world's most important trading route. The price of fertilizers for crops have hit an all-time high. Bill Gates became the largest farmland owner in the United States. World leaders announced impending food shortages due to the war in Ukraine with Russia making up more than 30% of the global wheat market and are considered the breadbasket of Europe, followed by reports of the bird flu. Have you heard about this? Here in the United States last month, forcing farmers to kill millions of egg-laying poultry. All of these aforementioned incidents have driven up the price of items at your grocery store. <laughs> but now we look at the most recent series of strange events contributing to the price hike and potential shortage, wondering if it's all coincidence or something more. In the last six months, around 20 U.S. food processing facilities have burned to the ground. I ran a couple of searches to compare the number of plant fires year to year to see if this past year had an unusual amount or not. In 2019, in the United States, it appears there were two food plant fires, not counting the fertilizer fires and the Walmart distribution center fire. I have 18 incidents of food plants on fire in this video. And again, we've provided the link. That does seem like there's quite a spike. So we've got all these factors at play to cause food shortages and increased prices. Are we witnessing total happenstance and coincidence, or is it intentional? Are they tr trying to take down our food supply? Are they trying to sabotage our supply chain? Well, to me, that's rhetorical. They absolutely are. August of 2020, you might remember, in my birthplace of Beirut, Lebanon, remember that huge explosion, shrouded and clouded in mystery? It was a grain silo. That was the grain supply for Lebanon. Fast forward two years, 2022, nobody's talking about it. I happened to find one report on it, one report. The people in Lebanon are starving to death. They have no food. The food supply has been destroyed. And it's deliberate. And it all has to do with supply demand. You increase the supply, certainly by way of the velocity of money circulating through the economy. See, they want us back out in the stores, paying two and three times more than what we paid before. That's if we can find the items. Because see, you deplete the supply. And by the way, in the United States of America, we have a 90-day supply. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> what are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying it's going to get worse. 
They're destroying the food supply. They're depleting whatever supply is left by an increased demand vis-a-vis -vis the opening up of the economy. It's all deliberate. It's a controlled demolition of the global economy. They're using this hyperinflation as the popping of what he calls the everything bubble. And that clock is ticking, and it's just a matter of time. And lo and behold, we have a prophecy in the Word of God that describes exactly that happening in the seven-year tribulation, and it's already starting to happen. In Luke's Gospel 21, verse 28, Jesus said, when you see these things, He was talking about the signs of the end of the age, and He lists them for the disciples. And then he makes this very stunning comment and says, when you see these things, keyword, begin to come to pass, hunker down and, no, look up. I'm sorry, that was the last time I'm going to use that one. Look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draws nigh. I mean, I guess I could have said what I just said, which <laughs> everything I've said up to this point was to say just that, that if anything, this should just be, I mean, don't be afraid. This is actually good. I know this might sound weird, but it's kind of like, bring it on. Because that means I'm going home. I don't want to go home. I don't want to be here anymore. I know there are people that need to get saved, but I want to go home. This is not my final destination. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. So here's the bottom line. We're already seeing what we're told will happen in the tribulation beginning to come to pass before the tribulation. So is that not yet another indicator and reminder of just how close we are to the rapture? And should that not be an encouragement to us as believers in and followers of Jesus Christ. Can I just say, and I think this is the Holy Spirit, just real quick, and we'll bring it in for a close. I've been pondering this over the last couple of years, and I truly believe that God has been, He's so gentle, so long-suffering and patient with us, but He's been loosening our grip on this world and the things of this world, readying us and steadying us for His return for us. Because if the truth be made known and we're honest with ourselves, we all have this tendency to dig our roots down too deep in the temporal soil of this world. And here the Lord is like, hey, I'm coming. Do you see what's happening? Do you see how close? I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready. We talked about this last week. Get your spiritual affairs in order. There's not much time. Well, it can be encouraging, but it also serves as a warning. It's a warning to those who do not know Jesus. And as I began, I'll end. That's a healthy fear. That's a good thing, because it's the fear of the Lord that brings you to a saving knowledge of the Lord, a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
again, you'll forgive me for the way I say this, but for lack of a better way of saying it, I'd rather scare you into heaven than flatter you into hell. Well, pastor, you're scaring me. Well, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe you need to have the heaven scared into you and the H-E double toothpick scared out of you. <laughs> there, that was a better way to say it, maybe. This is why we do these updates. And I have to, I have to speak the truth. It may not be popular. It may not be what we want to hear, but it's what we need to hear. It's coming and it's really already here. And this is why we end with the gospel, the good news, which is what the word gospel means, good news. <laughs> Your debt has been paid, you're free to go, and whom the Son has set free is free indeed. What debt? Well, that's where the ABCs of salvation come in. The A is for admit or acknowledge that you've sinned. And this is key because unless you acknowledge that you're a sinner, then why would you have any interest in the Savior? Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 packages first the bad news with the good news. What's the bad news? Well, there's a penalty for the sin. We've all sinned, and it's the death penalty for the wages of sin is death. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the A. Here's the B. And actually, this is central. And it's so simple. It's really as simple as believe. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And the C, lastly, is for call upon the name of the Lord, or as Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says, confess with your mouth. And this is what comes as an expression of the belief in your heart. It's the confessing with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. If you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And by the way, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to yeah. confess. Hallelujah. But when that day comes, when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, it won't be for salvation. It'll be for eternal damnation. Romans 10.13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I implore you, if you're here today or watching online, that's why you're watching online, by the way. The Lord has led you to this video for such a time as this, because today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that you make the most important decision of your life for eternal life. And I make no assumptions for anyone that's here in this church service today. If you've never called upon the name of the Lord, I implore you now, 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 now. There's no time left. There's no time left. The rapture can happen at any time. I want to share a but God testimony in closing comes from Bert and Amela Chamberlain, who I was actually privileged to talk with when they were here visiting again last week. 
He writes, hi, JD and your beautiful family. I write this email to first say we love all of you there at Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe, and enjoy meeting you the first time in April of 2021. My wife, Amela, daughter, Sarah, and I are the family from Sacramento. The main reason for this email is for but God. I work for IBM. Ooh. And they have a limited religious exemption, three to six months, depending on client facing status. And my exemption was set to expire 31 March. I work with, get this, the AI, artificial intelligence application area. And one of my applications is the injection verification used by multiple states and some countries as well. They, IBM, have removed the verification process. However, all who are not, quote, verified have their badges deactivated and cannot travel to meet at work nor with clients. I have been told today that while my manager is not aware of the RE being revoked, I think my manager believes it will be based upon the need to face customers. This is ironic, as most of my customers do not require the needle and accommodations can be made. The only point is they have to give us 30 days notice to be placed on leave without pay so IBM need not pay unemployment benefits, but was gracious enough to let us be paid for our benefits completely. I refuse to get it no matter what, but God has given me and others the no fear sign. I like that. The no fear sign and I know He will provide, no matter the outcome, here at IBM. We have been blessed as a family to know Him, and I personally only a few years ago came to Him. I ask if you are planning to use this in your prophecy update, to do so after the 2nd of March. So we're good. And I can give an update, which He did last week, and I mean, wow, just but God. Capono, come on up. Why don't you stand up? Yeah. God continues to restrain the evil and sustain the righteous. And He will continue to do so until that trumpet sounds. If you're here today and you're really struggling and hurting, and yes, fear has set in, and you're discouraged. I want to encourage you. God will provide your every need. It may not be the way you think. He may choose to use an unseen treasury from which to provide your needs in ways that you could have never imagined. But God <laughs> will always provide exceedingly abundantly above and beyond anything you could have ever thought or imagined. Amen. He's going to take care of you. You have nothing to be afraid of. You just trust the Lord and in Him is your refuge. Don't let the enemy start making you afraid. Don't let him get away with that with gritted teeth. <laughs> Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Lord, it is scary. It is scary, and it's getting worse. But you, O oh Lord, you are always faithful. We belong to you, and you will take care of us. Lord, for anyone who does not know You, has never called upon You, put their trust in You, believed in You. Lord, I pray 
that today, today, is the day of their salvation. Lord, thank you. And Lord, please, lastly, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.